uh, invite someone to Christmas service. There are some invitations they'll hand you on your way out the door. Uh, Dale and his team will. And uh, invite somebody to Christmas service. This is Christmas with family. Our special Christmas service will be in two weeks. Invite them next week. They'll think we're all Lulu wearing them, them ugly Christmas sweaters. It'll be fun. Amen? Hug your neighbor say it'll be fun. Also, uh, one more thing that I want to, and we've got a special Christmas service plan with family. I want you to bring everybody you can out in two weeks on the 20th. And uh, something that if you haven't seen the news, you might want to take advantage of and take a look at. On December 21st, everybody say December 21st. 45 minutes after the sun sets in the southwest portion of the sky, if you're in the northern hemisphere, which we all are up here, um, Jupiter and Saturn are going to be so close together, they're going to appear as a double planet. And it's going to be intensely bright. And the last time they were this close together, they're 0.1 degrees from each other. For us, it's going to appear to be a double planet in, in, in brightness of the star. Uh, nobody on Earth has seen this in our history. It's been 800 years since it happened. But, but several think that this is what happened when the star shined over Bethlehem, and that's what the wise men followed. They believe, many, many church historians believe, that it was a double planet shining over Bethlehem, and that's what guided the, the wise men. So conceivably, December 21st, you could be seeing what they saw 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. How cool is that? That is so cool. Say, Pastor, that is so cool. This isn't a library. You can talk back to me today, man. Yeah, praise God. All right, let's get into the Word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a two-week series on uh, kingdom stewardship. We're in the kingdom series. And when I say stewardship, most of you are going to automatically go in your brain and think finances. I, I, am, I am talking about life potential today. Stewardship is so much bigger than finances. It's about our life potential. It is about what we're supposed to be doing on earth for his kingdom. Everybody say his kingdom. So if you've got your composition notebook, notebooks, I'd like for you to grab those and, and get ready to take some notes if you're a note taker. And uh, I've entitled this message, A Job Worth Doing is Worth Doing Right. How many of you have ever heard someone say that? Maybe your parent, somebody in your life. Hey, a job worth doing is worth doing what? Right. Exactly. So let's turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And uh, this is a parable that Jesus taught. And so, if you will stand for the reading of God's Word, it'll be on the screen behind me. But also, if you want to turn in your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. When you're there, shout out a good amen. There you go. I like that amen. When you're there, shout out a good amen. Amen. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. 
Because you've been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be an authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you, not, did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that you are our living hope. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this season of Christmas when we remember the birth of Christ. Lord, I pray you to anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I pray, Father, anoint me to speak forth your word. God, not one word of my own, but every word from the throne of God into our hearts. Speak to us today, God. We long to hear your word. Let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form that you have, a phone, a Bible, whatever. And let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Air high five somebody, just two or three people. Amen. Do that across the whole sanctuary. Christ is the nobleman going away to claim his kingdom, and the distant country is heaven. But in the meantime, the king has given us something to manage. Everybody say manage. He has commanded us to manage it well until He returns. So I've got three points today. Point number one is this. God owns it all. Poke your neighbor say, God owns it all. The first thing that stewardship means is God owns it all. Psalm 50 verses 10 through 12 says, For every animal of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. You say, well, Pastor Dallas, that's not true. I got money in my pocket or I got money in my wallet or I got money in my purse. That's mine. Well, no, because where did it come from? It came from the pulp of trees that grew up on God's property. <laughs> you say, well, the car I drove today is mine, Pastor Dallas. God didn't make no cars. Well, maybe not, but he sh it was shaped out of the metal whose elements were dug from God's earth. Well, Pastor, you know, I got clothes on my body. God didn't rain down clothes from the heavens. The clothes on my body are mine. Yes, but the clothes on your back was made from material that God 
enabled you to come from, whether it's a sheep, whether it's cotton growing out of the ground. In other words, what I'm saying is what we think we own came from God originally. It's all God's. In fact, Job 121 says it this way. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. Listen, the only reason you're not going to leave this world at your funeral naked is because somebody else is going to dress you up and lay you in that casket. I have been doing funerals for 23 years. I have yet to see a hearse pull a U-Haul. There are no U-Hauls going to heaven. Amen? If you think you own anything on this earth, you take your last breath, you will find very quickly you own nothing on this earth. Right? We don't even, you ready for this? We don't even own our own bodies. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. All right, everybody look at me and say, I got it. God owns it all. God doesn't share ownership with anybody. See, a long time ago, there was an, uh, an angel that tried to share ownership with God. It was an angel named Lucifer who tried to create a joint venture in heaven. He wanted to split the throne 50-50. <laughs> but Lucifer got booted out, and he's getting cast into a lake of fire and hell forever and ever. Why? Because God doesn't share ownership with anyone. Things that we think we really own are just on loan from the Lord. And that leads me to point number two. God owns it all. That's a simple point. Number two is this. We're stewards. Everybody say, I'm a steward. So let's dive into this now. A steward may not own what they are given, but they are responsible for managing it. In this passage, the owner gave his ten slaves a mina apiece to operate with. Now, what's a mina? A mina, you'll see it on the overhead on the screen behind me, was an amount of money worth about three months' salary for a common laborer in those days. So it wasn't a shabby amount of money. Three months, think about one quarter of your year's salary. He gave up front and said, I want you to do business till I come. And I want to point out a few things about this that is astounding to me. Are you ready? Here we go. All received the same. Each person received the same amount. Why is that important? Here's why it's important. Because this parable represents something that all of us have in equal measure, and that is life potential. Shout out life potential. Because I'm going to hit it. You ready? Life potential can be divided into three categories. Ready? Time, talent, resources. Okay? People are different in terms of their talents, their abilities, their resources, all these things, but there's, that's not the point here. The point is the equity of the situation. That's what this parable is about. This parable is about the equity of the situation and using what they had been given for the kingdom. Remember, we are serving the king and his kingdom. We are part of his kingdom. We're ambassadors. We live for him, so we should be managing what he has given us and what he's called us to, to the best of our ability. Each person had the same amount of money, and each person had equal opportunity to do exactly what they should have done with their mina. God has given us life potential. So, not only did they receive the same, the other point that I want to make is they need to do business. Everybody say business. Did you know that God calls us to do business for Him? Listen, we're part of His kingdom. We're ambassadors. Ambassadors don't go to another country for vacation. Ambassadors don't go to another country to do things what they want. They go to do business for the president. 
When we go into this world, earth, and we are saved by the grace of God, we go to do business for the king. That means what his agenda is should be our main priority. That means what he wants should be what we do first. Is that, is that everybody got that? So the issue is not whether you will accept your stewardship, but what you will do with it. Watch what Luke 19, 13 says. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. So the issue is not whether or not we're going to be stewards. The issue is, what are we going to do with our life? Listen, when you were born into this world and you took oxygen in your lungs, you began a a track, you began a, a, a journey to whether or not what you're going to do with the life God has given you. Are you going to waste your life? Are you going to be selfish with your life? Or are you going to use it for the king's glory and his agenda? We've all been given life, so that's not the question. The question is, what are we going to do with our lives? The question is this. You'll see it on the screen. What kind of business will you do with the Lord's property? What kind of business are you going to do with the Lord's property? That includes you as a person. The Greek word for business here, are you ready for this? This is, I love this. He said, do business till I return. The Greek word for business is from where we get our English word pragmatic, which basically means practical. Not theoretical, practical. What he says is, what I've given you, your life, your time, your talents, your resources, how are you going to practically employ them for my agenda? We got way too many in the church, folks, that are living for their own agenda. They're living for themselves. They want to do it their way, and they tack on church on the backside and say, well, if the church service is only an hour, I guess I can show up. But God is saying, wait a minute here. It's all supposed to be about Him and His glory. We're supposed to live on mission. We're supposed to do what He wants. There is nothing more pragmatic and there's nothing more practical in life than being a kingdom steward. Stewarding everything God's given us. Here in Luke, we're all accountable. Why? Because we've all been given an opportunity. So not only do we need to do business, the third thing I want to point out is the kind of business we do. Everybody say the kind. What kind of business does Christ want you to conduct with the time, talents, and resources that he's entrusted you? What has God called you to do? We're not all called to be pastors. Some are called to be doctors. Some are called to be lawyers. Chris Combs just passed his bar exam, by the way. Send him a congratulations. I knew he's very excited. So we're all called to be some are township administrators. Some, some work with their hands. It doesn't matter what we're... What you do is not the important part. Is that are you doing what God has called you to do? When I was young, when I was a teenager, I don't know about you, but I had all, I I made good money. I lived at home. I had hardly any bills. And I I think, man, I wish I had just a few of those dollars left. I wish I'd saved some of that. How many know what I'm talking about? I wish I didn't blow it all. Well, as adults, we should save money, right? At some point, we save money for the future, for an emergency fund, for a problem that happens, for retirement, whatever. Most of us will prepare in future in our, for our future in other areas of our lives too, right? So we have insurance policies to cover what might happen, what might go wrong, what might happen with it. We have life insurance. We have car insurance. We have homeowner's insurance. We have renter's insurance. I mean insurance, insurance, insurance. And it's 
all based on what might happen. So in other words, watch this. We will do for ourselves what we will not do for God. What do I mean by that? We plan for what might happen by buying insurance. We plan for what might happen to, uh, by having an emergency fund, or at least I hope that you do. So when, when the car breaks down, you have money to fix it. But we fail to plan for what will happen, and that is the return of Jesus and wisely investing the life potential that he has given us. Why is it that we plan for Murphy's Law in every other area of our life, but we don't plan for what are we going to do when we have to stand before God? Because watch this. One day Jesus Christ is going to look at you and me and he's going to say, let's see whether the agenda of my kingdom is better off because of what you did with what I gave you. Let me say that again. One day Jesus Christ is going to look at you and me and he's going to say, let's see whether the agenda of my kingdom, because you after all are my ambassador, and let's see whether the agenda of my kingdom is better off because of what you did with what I gave you. You see, a steward is responsible to manage the affairs of the king. And when the king returns, you and I will give an account of that responsibility. And that leads me to point three, and that is this. And I will give the balance of this message with point three. Are you ready? Stewards will be held accountable. Poke your neighbor or just kind of wave at them, get their attention so you keep your space. And just say, you're going to be held accountable. Now, I don't know about you. But that gets my attention. Everyone goes through, if you work in the corporate world, everyone goes through an annual review, right? Why? Because companies, why do they hold this review? Because the boss wants to know how well the employees have produced. Now, if you're in a company where two or three of you and you see each other regularly, probably not needed because the boss gets to see what's going on and make corrections as he goes. But in a big corporate world, you see the boss once a year, maybe, and then you, you have the annual review. He's wanting to see or she's wanting to see what? Eight hours a day. 40 hours a week minimum, they're wanting to see what did you do with the boss's time. In other words, he is basically, the boss is saying, you are a steward of my time and my money and my agenda, and, and you're accepting money to produce work, and I want to see how you're doing. So the review gives the boss a chance to find out how productive the workers are for the company. Everybody understand that, right? Did you know that it works the same way in the kingdom of God? Luke chapter 19, 15 says this. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered these, ten, these slaves to whom he had given the money. He called to him so that he might know what business they had done. Folks, the one review you don't want to mess up is when you stand before the holy God. Christ our King is going to call his people to account for their stewardship. Christ is going to look at you and I eyeball to eyeball and he's going to say, how did my company, how did my kingdom benefit with what I provided you? How many souls were saved? How many lives were changed? How many orphans did you help? How many widows did you minister to? What did you do with your life for my kingdom? A lot of people in the church will be able to show how God's gifts benefited them but that's not the question. The issue with stewardship in the Bible is this. How did the king's business do under your management? Is the king better off? Was his agenda furthered? Y'all looking at me like I'm gone and preaching the Quran. 
How did the kingdom's business do under your management? Christ is going to look at you and I one day and he's going to say, give me an account of your management. I gave you abilities. I gave you talents. I gave you resources. I put the right people around you. I put you in the right areas. I put everything right in place. Now give an account. Is my kingdom better off? Man, is that a question that you can say yes to? If you're watching online, thank you for joining us. Can you truly say God's kingdom is better off because of your management? This is deep stuff. When Holly's grandfather told me that he was called in the ministry, he said God kept telling him, uh, I want you in the ministry. And he, at the time, he owned a, a, a trucking company. He owned a grocery store. He was doing very well for himself. He kept saying, no, no, I don't want to preach. I don't want to preach. I don't want to preach. He said, one day, I, I can, I'll never forget him telling me the story. He would tear up. He would begin to shake under the power of it. And he would say uh, that one day he loaded up from the business and he was heading home. And he said, God said, I'll give you three days to make up your mind or I'm taking you home. Now, there's a chance. He said, I pulled over on the side of the road. I said, I bet you did. <laughs> he said, God, he said, will I be saved? That's what God told him. He said, yes, but you'll have no sheaves to bring before me. He said, Dallas, that's when I knew God meant business about winning souls. He said, God, I don't need three days, three hours, or three more minutes. I'll do what you've called me to do. And he did until he couldn't do it anymore. Look, it's okay for the stewards to be better off as long as the king and his agenda are better off, right? So the Bible calls the day of evaluation for kingdom stewards the judgment seat of Christ. Look what 1 Corinthians says. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If a man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as yet as through fire. We've got to be attentive and careful to our stewardship. Why? Because there's coming a day that Christ is going to judge his people. Not on salvation. If you've accepted Jesus, you're saved. But he will judge you for rewards based on the work you did on this earth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says it this way. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul calls it a fiery judgment in 1 Corinthians 3.13. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. I don't know about you, but I want my work to stand. I want my motives to be right. I want to do the right thing for the king. Let me ask you something. Are you offering God quality or leftovers? Do you appreciate, how many of you appreciate, let me see a show of hands, if you appreciate sloppy work. Neither do I. How many of you parents are satisfied when your children do the dishes or they clean the room and they do it in a half-hearted, sloppy way and it's not done right? Isn't that aggravating? Your boss, your, your boss doesn't, he doesn't tolerate sloppy work, does he? 
What would you think a boss would say if the secretary said, Oh, I know the letter's got all kind of misspelled words in it, and it's got, and it's got uh, mistakes in it, but hey, at least I typed it. The boss is going to say, Well, guess what? I'm going to find somebody that can spell correctly and not miss up everything and not misspell words and not have full of errors, and I'm going to get somebody who will do it right. Listen, God wants quality work from his stewards as well. If a boss demands quality work, guess what? God Almighty demands it because souls are at stake. Let me say it again. He demands quality work and excellence because souls are at stake. And his kingdom is all about winning people to Christ. Your family and my family and those that are lost. He demands quality work because it's about winning souls. Woo! Somebody shout glory. At the judgment seat, Jesus is going to evaluate all of us and how well we use the time, talent, and resources that were used for Him. Here's the question. Did we produce quality work or thrown together junk? And I'm afraid, I'm telling you, the church in America is just throwing stuff together. People on a whim. People are not, they're not committed like they used to be. Sixty years ago, people would go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, show up for prayer meetings. Now you can hardly get people to show up for an hour service. What are we offering God? Is it all right to share my heart here a minute? Many people will give their boss top quality work when they go into the office or the job site and they won't be late and they won't be sloppy. Why? Because the boss has got their paycheck in his pocket, right? And they will fear getting fired or losing promotions or whatever. But let me ask you something. If people will give the best efforts on a job to an earthly boss. (laughs) I'm going somewhere. Are you ready? Y'all still love me? What should we do for Jesus Christ our King? In his kingdom. If we're on the setup team, should we just go out there and halfway put the banner in the ground and let it blow over during church and say, well, at least I did something? How do you think God would look at that? Should we show up 15 to 30 minutes late every Sunday and miss worship? Well, at least I came. How do you think God would feel about that? Let me ask you this. How would you feel if you invited people over, the same family over, constantly to your house, and every time you invited them to dinner, they showed up 30 minutes late every time? Now, here you are. You've cooked steaks on the grill. You've got the baked potatoes coming out just right. You've got everything ready, and they're showing up late. You had it ready for 5 o'clock. They show up at 5.30. You're trying to figure out how to keep the steaks warm. You're trying to figure out how to keep the potatoes warm. You're trying to figure out how to keep the ice from melting in the tea so it doesn't water it down. You're trying to do all those things. Once, twice, maybe you overlook it. But when it happens time and time again, guess what? You would consider that person rude and disrespectful, and you would probably quit inviting them over. I have a question for you. How do you think God feels when we continue? show up late if we show up at all and miss all that he has for us in his house is this okay today y'all still love me I want to hear it say I love you pastor one guy told me he liked to greet at the door one time he said I like to greet at the door he said you know I, I catch People coming in late, but the real reason came after that. He said, besides, he said, I get to miss all that racket going on upstairs. 
He called praise and worship to God racket. How do you think God felt about that? Should I show up unprepared and just throw something together 10 minutes before service and just give you some sloppy leftovers and say, well, <laughs> at least I preached? How do you think God would look at that? Or if you ran your small group as an afterthought, never prepared anything for it, just threw it together, see who shows up, and we'll just figure it all out. Oh, at least I had one. How do you think God would look at that? Folks, I'm trying to say this morning, what I hear, feel in my heart is this. What are we offering to God? Because Malachi said, you're offering me stuff you would never offer to your governor. You're offering me some half-junk, put-together, blemished lambs. He said, go offer it to your governor. See how pleased they are with that. I'm telling you, it's time we got to look down in our heart and say, what are we offering God? What are we giving Him? Is it half-hearted worship? Is it a half-hearted commitment to Him? I don't know about you, but man, I want my wife totally committed to me. I don't want her half in and half out. I don't want her going and getting, uh, you know, staying somewhere else five days a week. And man, you know, occasionally I'll show up when I feel like it. No, I want her to be with me. Listen, we've got to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be about the king. We've got to be about the king's business. Somebody say amen. What are you offering God? Look, if we're willing to give good work to an earthly boss, what should we do for Jesus Christ our King? If we're willing to give great stuff to an earthly person, how much more should we give to Jesus who died on the cross and saved our souls? Woo! Somebody shout glory! Man, I don't know about you, I'm all in. I'm all the way for God. Man, I want to leave this earth and have him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I'm going to make you ruler over many. I don't want to hear him say, You, you did what with my gifts and talents? You buried them? You, you mean that ability I gave you, those administrative skills, you just chose to use it for a paycheck all week and not use it for my glory? You mean that gift of hospitality that you invite all your family and friends, you use it for your own selfish purposes, but you don't use it for my glory? You mean that ability to play music and sing songs I gifted you with, and you, you, it's too much of an inconvenience for you to show up an hour before church so that you can use the gift I gave you for His glory? You mean the gift of leadership I gave you? The gift of preaching I gave you? And you're going to use it to communicate for everywhere else but for my glory? Folks, I know it seems like I'm being hard today. But I'm telling you, God is trying to shake us. Is He Lord? Is He King? Are you here for His agenda? I have a question. How many of you think, listen, the president appoints the ambassadors. They're not elected. So it's not like the president, it's not like President Trump gets stuck with some ambassador he doesn't like. What do you think President Trump or whoever the president, the next one is, but for right now it's Trump. What would you think Trump would say if some ambassador was in Africa and he was doing sloppy work, he was misrepresenting the president, he was a buffoon, and he was just using all the resources for his own selfish means, and he was not doing what he was paid to do. I can tell you what Trump would do. You're fired. And any other president would do the same. 
he would look at him and say, you're there to represent me. You are represent there to, to represent the United States of America. You are there to do excellent work. You are there to use all the resources the United States has for the glory of the United States and to represent us in a great way. How dare you get over there and do that? You're fired. Come back. I'm putting somebody in your place. Let me ask you something. Why do we think for one second God will be pleased with leftover, half-hearted, sloppy work? Is it okay to preach the truth? I'm moved by this because I, I, I see the church in general going down. And COVID has become an excuse. Are you giving God's kingdom? Listen. Are you giving God's kingdom... A quality return on the time, talents, and resources that he has blessed you with. Or is he getting your leftovers? Are you tipping God? Are you giving God what's at whatever's left over of your time, talent, resources? Pastor, I, I guess I can show up. As long as it's only 15 minutes before church. And as long as church is only about an hour. Other than that, it's too inconvenient. I can't show up. What are we telling God? We're telling the one who died on a cross to save us. I don't have time for you. Is it okay to preach like this still? Does anybody want to hear the truth anymore? Will you give a server who serves your meal 15% but give God 2%? Are you spending all your money on yourself first and then giving God a token offering on Sundays? Are you serving your natural boss all week? But you're only willing to serve God in His kingdom if it's convenient and costs you 15 minutes or less? See, if you're building a home and the tiles and the bathroom aren't laid just right, what are you going to do? You're just going to accept it? No way. I'm not. I'm going to call the general contractor and say, get somebody out here and fix this. Why? Because I paid good money for it, and it's my house, and I want it done right. Is that right? If you notice that the roof is put on a sloppy, half-hearted way and you're concerned about leaks in the future, what are you going to do? You're going to call the general contractor. You're going to say, hey, get somebody out of here and fix this because I don't want leaks two years from now. Why? Because it's my house and I pay good money for it and I want it done right. Listen, God paid a high price for you and me. It cost him his son. He has entrusted us the stewardship of his house, his kingdom, and he wants his business done with excellence. God has given us the privilege of ruling with him and his kingdom. He has entrusted to us his kingdom. We are his ambassadors. He's trusting us. Are you going to turn around and give God sloppy work or leftover time, talents, and resources? Are you going to give the school district your best teaching efforts and then somehow on Sunday morning early throw something together for Sunday school? Are you going to give your company your best administrative skills 40 to 50 hours a week and then offer God a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet that's five minutes? I'm just getting real. Is this okay? Are you going to spend thousands of dollars on your home, cars, and all your own self and then throw a $10 bill in the offering to say, God, I hope you're happy with that? Are you going to spend time on yourselves all week long at spas, getting nails done, playing golf or whatever your hobby is, and tell God he ought to be happy you show up once a month for an hour to worship him? I'm just getting real. Is this okay to get real? 
All this cost God too much to get away with shoddy stewardship. He sent His Son to die on the cross. Colossians 1.18 says it this way. He is also head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So watch this. So that He Himself will come, watch this, to have first place in everything. If I went out and played golf six days a week and, you know, went to the gym and worked out and just me conveniently showed home, you know, late at night after work and after work I went and played golf and I showed up and I'd already eaten dinner somewhere and Holly had cooked a nice meal and she's looking forward to me and her and the kids having a nice dinner and I just show up at 9 o'clock at night in the summer and I said, well, I'm pooped. I'm going to get a shower and I'm going to bed. And I did that continually. How many of you think she would be less than pleased? Yeah. I don't even know you wouldn't have a pastor anymore. I'd be dead. Yeah. Yeah, that, that amen was too loud from over there. Yeah. I have a question. Then why is it we think we can live our life all day long the way we want? Come home at night, and God's been waiting to meet with us all day long. And we say, God, I'm sorry. It's been a tough work day, and I've had all these other things. And you know what? I'll get to your word another day. I'll pray another day. And Monday turns into Tuesday, and Tuesday to Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. And then Sunday, well, I don't really feel like going anymore. And all this time goes on, and God is going, what? I died so we could have a relationship. Am I really first in your life? Can you say that Jesus and his kingdom are truly first in your life? Two questions, and we'll pray. I'm sure you're ready for this to be over. Don't worry, there's a part two next week. Amen. <laughs> Do we still want to hear the truth in Bridge of Hope Church? Do you still want me to preach the word of God? Amen. Amen. Because I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I fast and pray, and I preach what I feel like God lays on my heart. Maybe I miss it. I don't know, but I'm preaching His Word. I'm not going to preach what I think or my interests. It'd be very easy to tickle everybody's ears and build a big crowd. What good is that going to do if everybody comes in and nobody's saved and everybody's going to hell? What good is that going to do? Hey, we need the truth to be changed. Are you ready? There's two questions I have for you. Will your calendar show that Jesus and His kingdom are first in your life? Secondly, will your checkbook show that Jesus and His kingdom are first in your life? See, I can tell you a lot about you. All I need to do is see your calendar and your checkbook. And I'll tell you exactly what's first, what's second, what's third, and what's priority in your life. Folks, this is not a message to beat up on anybody. This is a message for us to search our hearts and say, What am I offering to God? Am I giving God my best? We've all been given life potential. What are, we, what are we doing with that potential? Will you stand before God one day and have Him say, well, yeah, I gave you a lot of gifts and talents and you're better from it, but what about my kingdom? You were supposed to be my ambassador. 
And we can come up with all kinds of excuses. We work, we're busy, we're sick, we're this, we're that. Hey, as long as we have breath, we can do something for God. I'll finish with this little story. Papaw died. That was my wife's grandfather. He was, he was Papaw to me for many years. Love that man dearly. He's a wonderful preacher of the gospel. He prayed and two people were raised from the dead. That's the kind of man he got he was. Documented. When he got to where he couldn't go out of the house anymore later on in his late 90s, he would pray hours a day. Two, three, four hours a day interceding. He had a list of 800 names of organizations and people. And he would pray one by one. And he would say, with tears in his eyes, I can't preach anymore. I can't physically do some things anymore, but I can still pray. And I'm going to do it till the day I die because I've got to be productive for the kingdom of God. Wow. Wow. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I just want you to turn where you're sitting into a little altar right now. Nobody's looking around. You can even whisper your own prayers or pray in your head or however you want to do. And if you want to get on your knees and put your elbows on your chair and turn it into that kind of altar or sit there and pray, however you want to do it, whatever you're comfortable with. And just ask yourself. First of all, ask, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? What are you saying to me? But then I want you to ask yourself a question. Is Jesus Christ and His kingdom truly first in my life? It doesn't mean you quit your job tomorrow or anything like that. You've been placed there. That's your mission field. But only you can answer. Is He first in my life? Am I offering quality to him and his kingdom or leftovers? I'd like for you just to take some time and pray right now. This is a very intimate time. You might even want to move around a little bit and find a quiet spot. I see some in here, you're on your knees with your elbows on your chair some are leaned over just ask yourself what can I do for Christ is he really first right where you're at home just pray it's a reverent time oh God this star is so beautifully playing I surrender all God my dreams my goals my desires who I am 
talents, my abilities, my resources. God, they're yours. I want to be an ambassador for you, God, that you look down and smile and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to live for you, God, with all my heart, mind, and soul. Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I can think of nothing better that we can offer Jesus for his birthday. Christmas was really supposed to be about him. I can think of nothing greater that we can offer Jesus for his birthday than ourselves, our lives, who we are, our time, our talents, and our resources. God, we offer ourselves to you. Would you just do that now? If you're home watching online or if you're here in the sanctuary, why don't you just offer yourself? God, all of me, not part of me, not majority of me, not most of me, all of me. I offer myself to you. As a matter of fact, you may want to even take your hand and just pray to God. Here I am, Lord. Offer myself. <laughs> 